is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. number 877-381-3811-877-381-3811. Well, you never know. You go to bed one night, you don't know if you're going to wake up. I got uh, a couple of texts in the middle of the night during the course of this tornado from my kids. They live about 20 minutes apart in Tennessee. And they could hear the wind. Now the heart of this tornado slammed into uh, this town, Mayfield, Kentucky. Hit other areas too. That town only has 10,000 people. Uh, This is a tornado that or a series of tornadoes, three of them as I understand it, also in Tennessee and Arkansas, Illinois, Missouri, and killed almost 100 people or so. There's over 100 who are missing. And then you look at the damage, looks like a nuclear bomb hit, hit these areas, just blew these, these homes away like they were built of matchsticks. And my kids... And uh, in this case, my daughter or grandkids and husband, they were all in the uh, lowest bathroom in the house. Now, there is no such thing as mother nature. There's nature. And nature can be very, very beautiful. On a sunny day, you can hear the birds, watch nature. Butterflies, you can see the seasons changing in those parts of the country where it changes. It's beautiful. But nature has another side to it, where it's a killer. Earthquakes, hurricanes, floods, tornadoes, lightning, all kinds of things. The shifting in the plates in the earth, 
depending on what the sun chooses to do any given day, any given year, any given millennium. And throughout history, not just humans, but animals of all kinds, mammals, have been massively destroyed as a result of things that happen on Earth and things that happen in this universe. People want easy answers. There are no easy answers. There's no easy answers. There are parts of this country that are prone to having these tornadoes because of the way the the Gulf Stream works or the way certain storms come together. We have absolutely no control over this, none whatsoever. Sometimes your number comes up. You walk down the street and somebody hits you in the back of the head with a tire iron. Or you're on a bus, the bus has a horrific accident. You're in the ocean and there's one occasion where a white shark takes you down. Life is full of risks, even if you're as careful as humanly possible. Life is filled with risks. As joyous as life is, life can be filled with horrendous moments. You lose a child. I can't think of anything worse. Your daughter is kidnapped, brought into sex trafficking. You get a call about a car accident, cancer. Who knows? Each day is precious. You don't know. And so as these people suffer, families, some families wiped out, some families, members are wiped out, loss of homes, loss of so much. I really get sick to my stomach over the ambulance chasers. I really do. I really do. And when the ambulance chasers or the President of the United States or the FEMA administrator or a senator from Maryland or a climate scientist or whomever who wish to take this horrendous event spawned by nature, not by man, to advance their ideological agenda, it really is grotesque. It's unconscionable. You make people actually believe that we have some control over this. If we would just drive less, if we would just recycle, if we would just use solar energy, this wouldn't happen. And these damnable lies by people who seek to create a narrative and manipulate us get voice in the media today. Rather than dismissing these people, as political ambulance chasers, opportunists, pushing their ideology and their narrative onto deaths and suffering of others. They're given voice. Must be nice to have an ideology where every horrific thing that happens, you can identify it as a result of climate change, which cannot even be properly defined. 
in which there is no scientific agreement. It's just that the government and those who run it believe it, and they fund it, and they push it, and they advance it. It's really quite shocking. And so here's Joe Biden Saturday. He's not visiting the scene until Wednesday. But on Saturday, Saturday, he already has the answer. Cut one, hat tip, Breitbart, go. Does this say anything to you about climate change? Is this, are, are you going to conclude that these storms and the intensity have to do with climate change? Well, now, obviously, the problem is the media and Biden and his ilk, they play this game. That wasn't a question. That was, do you agree with me that? This is a so-called reporter who lays this up for the President of the United States in the middle of a horrific, horrific event, which no amount of public transportation, no amount of solar energy, no amount of wind energy, no amount of electric cars can prevent or even tame or even lessen. How do you account for the fact, before I give you Biden's answer, that in parts of the world where there's almost no industry, where there's mostly poverty, where most people don't have automobiles, where most people do not use fossil fuels, how do you account for the fact that they have natural disasters too? Go ahead. All that I know is that the intensity of the weather across the board has some impact as a consequence of the warming of the planet and the climate change. Now, this is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. And so we'll have these discussions about an ambiguous answer like that rather than give us specific information and evidence. Just specific information and evidence that we can discuss. That we as reporters, we're reporters of news, rather than your observations. You weren't around a hundred years ago to observe, whether it's the Spanish flu. You weren't around 150 or 60 years ago to see the earthquakes that took place in the Midwest of the United States, which were said to be among the worst. You weren't around in San Francisco at the beginning of the last century to see the earthquake that took out San Francisco and so forth and so on. So your observation is absurd. Your observation? Do you know in Florida, I'm not talking about Louisiana and so forth, but the southeast coast of Florida, there was no hurricane this year. There was no hurricane. None. Does that mean the earth is cooling? Does that mean based on my observation, the earth isn't changing? Does it only go one way when we have these horrific events? That's evidence that we need to destroy the capitalist system, that you need to become poorer, that we need to eliminate fossil fuels? Are you telling me before the Industrial Revolution... There wasn't horrific weather and earthquakes and hurricanes and, and tornadoes. There was that and more. What happened to the dinosaurs? There's a debate, but what happened? 
What, too much methane? So these, these politicians are asked these leading questions by their media. And they make comments like this. It's like when somebody is shot, the gun control comments. You're always pushing this radical agenda. It is immoral. It is unconscionable. It is dehumanizing. So it's all of your fault. If all of you would learn to live like peasants, we wouldn't have tornadoes like this. Now, how ridiculous is this? And he wasn't alone. The FEMA administrator, you have Jake Tapper, who's pushing this. Cut to go. The governor of Kentucky called this the most devastating tornado event in his state's history. How unusual is it to see a storm this powerful this late in the year? You know, I think it's incredibly unusual. We do see uh, tornadoes in December. That part is not unusual. Um, but at this magnitude, I don't think we've ever seen one this late in the year, but it's also historic. Um, even this, the severity and the amount of time this tornado or these tornadoes spent on the ground is unprecedented. And she goes on to say climate change. Based on what? So the tornadoes are more intense because of climate change? Based on what? And then there's Senator Ben Cardin of Maryland, who truly is an ignoramus. He's on today, no notice, meet the press, CNN, pushing this, spreading the whole thing. Cut three, go. We've already mentioned the tragedy that took place in regards to the tornadoes. I can mention the extreme flooding conditions that we've seen on volume of rain that we have never seen in our lifetime. That is a lie. And by the way, even if we've never seen it in our lifetimes. Our lifetimes are quite short, relatively speaking. Go ahead. It's changing. And we are part responsible for that, and we can change the course. See, we, we are responsible, folks. The hardworking, average citizen in this country is responsible for earthquakes and tornadoes, and hurricanes, and thunderstorms, and a changing planet. This is truly a, a, a bizarre, freakish religion that they've created. It's an idol. It's like a throwback to 5,000 years ago. I'll be right back. in. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? 
Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. You want to fix poverty? More government. Want to fix health care? More government. Want families to spend more time together? More government. Want to educate people? More government. Yeah, it's just uh, interesting. The answer is always the same, isn't it? Michael Mann, who I view as a discredited so-called climate scientist, he's on MSLSD today. Again, look who they bring in. Look who they bring in. They don't bring in experts who have contrary views, and there are thousands of them. They bring in somebody like Michael Mann. Here we're talking about these, these deadly tornadoes. And then they use that as cover to push their agenda. Cut four, go. What do we need to learn about how to build better in... The southeast, yep. let's say, in the Midwest. Well, you know, we need to pass Build Back Better because that uh, that bill has climate provisions that will address this problem at its, you know, uh, at its core, which is the warming of the planet due to carbon pollution, fossil fuel burning. So that's most important. We can prevent this from getting worse if we act on climate now. No, we can't. No, we can't. People think there's answers to everything. Sometimes there aren't. What can we do to build better? And you bring in this, sci- this uh, so-called climate scientist. Why don't you bring builders in if you want to know what you can do to build better in the southeast and the Midwest? But you don't. They create this pretext. And so whenever there is a disaster of any kind, whether it's nature of this sort, Whatever it is, whatever it is, the answer is always the same. The politicians get more powerful, the bureaucracy gets bigger, you lose liberty, and you lose rights. We should be helping our fellow citizens, not using these occasions to empower politicians and bureaucrats, and the people who live very, very wealthy, by the way, off of talking about them in Washington, D.C., He's driving the media mad. Mark Levin, call in with your outrage. 877-381-3811. You know, it's with great reservation I even have to engage on this. It's like after a mass shooting with the gun control crowd because you're thinking about all these people and the horror they're dealing with. And, uh how many of us could be dealing with the same horror. You want time to digest it, think about it, see if there's something or some group you can contribute to. But when the president and others, the same day, are pushing their agenda, pushing this ideology, what are you supposed to do? It's crass what they do, utterly classless, bordering on immoral, but they do it anyway. 
So you can't just leave the field to these people. Now our buddy, really the famous Joe Bastardi, he's responding to all this, including Biden. And he's really quite disgusted with the media and the scientists. He says, clueless Joe Biden in action again with his weaponization of tornadoes. Number one, violent tornadoes are not increasing. Number two, this year tornadoes, hail and wind altogether near record low. And the mindless media should do their dang job and call them on it. He says here, the data Bastardi included, coming from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA, directly contradicts the claims from Biden and Chriswell that severe weather is more intense because of climate change. Bullet. Says the first graph shows that his carbon emissions increased between 1954 and 2014. The number of annual tornadoes did not increase. In fact, it went down. Bullet. The second graph shows that the number of recorded tornadoes through December 11, 2021 is, in fact, close to a record low. Bullet. The third graph, and this, he's taking these graphs off of NOAA. The third graph shows that the number of local storm reports of hail, 3,714 through December 11, is significantly under the average of 7,979 through the same time period. Bullet, the fourth paragraph shows that the number of local storm reports of damaging winds, 12,780 through December 11, is also under the average of 13,996 through the same period. So, according to the data, we have Roger Pickle, P-I-E-L-K-E, Jr., University of Colorado professor, says that the data, the government's own data, shows tornadoes are becoming less common in the United States. He says, according to the data from the U.S. National Weather Service, from 2000 to 2020, only four of the strongest categories or tornadoes were observed. In comparison, from 1954 to 1974, 36 such powerful tornadoes were observed. Our research on tornado damage in the United States over many decades shows a decline that is suggestive of the actual decline in tornado incidences. They also highlighted an important point to consider when politicians and those with an agenda begin blaming the climate change for weather disasters. He said, if it is so well known that disasters are the result of a complex interplay of social and climate factors, why then is climate typically the main focus of attention after every extreme event? His point, if a tree falls in a forest but no one hears or sees it, did it make a sound? Well, in a similar way, whether disasters like the one that happened last week are only disasters because they impact a significant number of people. If a severe tornado with 200-mile-an-hour winds touched down, but there's nothing there, then nobody even notices it. That was my point earlier, before I even read this. Which is, you have areas that are not industrialized, that are not heavily populated. To the extent they're populated, they're very poor. There's no automobiles or that sort of thing. And yet you have horrific... Natural disasters. Geographer Gilbert White, known for his work in helping society mitigate the impact of natural disasters, wrote, Floods are acts of God, but flood losses are largely acts of man. And what he meant by that, it depends where you put your home, where you put your business, where you choose to locate. 
Not in every instance, but in many. Now, we're having a rational discussion here, right? But none of it is heard on NBC, ABC, or CBS. None of it. None of it is heard on CNN or MSNBC. None of it. I am apparently a climate denier. I deny that there's climate. Do I deny that there's climate? Ian Plimmer is an emeritus professor of Earth Sciences University in Melbourne. This is in American Marxism. I have an entire chapter on the climate change fanatics. It says, the theory of human-induced global warming is not science because research is based on a preordained condition. Huge bodies of evidence are ignored, and the analytical procedures are treated as evidence. Furthermore, he writes, climate science, so-called, is sustained by government research grants. Funds are not available to investigate theories that are not in accord with government ideology. Of alternative energy sources, such as wind and solar, Plimmer writes that the alternative energy systems, so-called, such as wind and solar, are environmentally disastrous. They cause loss of ecosystems, destruction of wildlife, sterilization of the land, inordinate costs that may not be retrieved during the life of the system, and the emission of huge amounts of CO2 during construction. Furthermore, both wind and solar power are inefficient. They can't provide 24-7 base load power and need backup by coal-burning, carbon dioxide-emitting, electricity-generating plants, as they found out in Texas a little while back. But keep in mind that point. How do you generate electricity? You just snap your fingers and there's electricity? I mean, that's what Joe Biden thinks. He just ordered that all government cars will be only electrical cars at some point, five, ten years from now. Or where's the electricity going to come from? Ask California that doesn't have enough electricity. Now, this expert, Plimmer, condemns the entire movement. He says, climate change catastrophism is the biggest scientific fraud that has ever occurred. Much climate science, and he puts quotes around the word science constantly, is political ideology dressed up as science. There are times in history when the popular consensus is demonstrably wrong, and we live in such a time. Cheap energy, fundamental for employment, living in the modern world, and for bringing the third world out of poverty. Furthermore, the education system has been captured by activists, and the young are inculcated with environmental, political, and economic ideology. During their education, these same young people are not given the basic critical and analytical methods to evaluate ideology that has been presented as fact. Want to hear more, Mr. Producer? Page 174, American Marxism. This book is chock full of stuff. Patrick J. Michaels, who was director of the Center for the Study of Science at Cato, past president of the American Association of State Climatologists, Program Chair for the Committee on Applied Climatology to the American Meteorological Society and Research Professor of Environmental Sciences at University of Virginia for 30 years. He sounds like he might know something. He contends, he's never been on Meet the Press, by the way, he contends that climate models are failing. He says, in its most basic form, science consists of statements of hypotheses that are retained by critical tests against observations. Without such testing... Or without a testable hypothesis, philosopher Karl Popper stated that what may be called science is, in fact, pseudoscience. I'm a big fan of Popper. A corollary is that a theory which purports to explain everything in its universe of subject matter is, in fact, untestable, and therefore is pseudoscience. In climate, perhaps it is charitable to refer to untested or untestable climate model projections as climate studies rather than climate science, saying these models are utterly bogus. Richard Lindzen, atmospheric physicist, 
former professor of meteorology at Massachusetts Institute of Technology. He might know something. He says global warming is about politics and power rather than science. In science, there's an attempt to clarify. In global warming, language is misused in order to confuse and mislead the public. The misuse of language extends to the use of climate models. Advocates of policies allegedly addressing global warming use models not to predict, but rather to justify the claim that catastrophe is possible. As they understand, proving something to be impossible is itself almost impossible. Robert M. Carter, Emeritus Fellow and Science Policy Advisor at the Institute of Public Affairs, Science Advisor at the Science and Public Policy Institute, Chief Science Advisor for the International Climate Science Coalition, former professor and head of the School of Earth Sciences at James Cook University, writes, It needs to be recognized that the theoretical hazard of dangerous human-caused warming is but one small part of a much wider climate hazard that all scientists will agree upon, which is the dangerous weather and climate events that nature intermittently presents us with and always will. It is clear from the many and continuing climate-related disasters that occur around the world that the governments of even advanced wealthy countries often inadequately prepared for such disasters. We need to do better in squandering money to give Earth the benefit of the doubt based upon an unjustifiable assumption that dangerous warming will shortly resume as exactly the wrong type of picking winners approach. He makes a point no serious person should dispel. He adds, quote, The reality is that no scientist on the planet can tell you with credible probability whether the weather in 2030 will be cooler or warmer than today. In such circumstances, the only rational conclusion to draw is that we need to be prepared to react to either warming or cooling over the next several decades, and also to severe weather events, depending on what nature chooses to serve up to us. A primary government duty of care is to protect the citizenry and the environment from the ravages of national climate-related events. What is needed is not unnecessary and penal measures against CO2 emissions, but instead a prudent and cost-effective policy of preparation for an adaptive response to all climate events and hazards. And as far as carbon dioxide itself, for the four billionth time, it's never been, cannot be, and never will be a pollutant. You breathe in oxygen and you exhale carbon dioxide, not carbon monoxide, which is a pollutant, carbon dioxide. There was a 5-4 decision in the U.S. Supreme Court a few years back, as I've talked about before. Massachusetts versus the EPA. And Justice John Paul Stevens used the occasion to write for the majority. And left it to the Environmental Protection Agency to determine whether carbon dioxide, a non-pollutant, was part of the statutory language included when Congress passed the Clean Air and the Clean Water Act. So what do you think the EPA is going to do? So they treat carbon dioxide as a pollutant. And I've written in past books, and I've discussed here many, many years in the past, this is something I've studied and studied and studied. Carbon dioxide is a tiny fraction of our atmosphere. A tiny fraction. As it was explained, and I wrote in Liberty and Tyranny almost 13 years ago now. Another section on the envirostatists, I call them. Long before these terrible tornadoes. I pointed out 
that if you have a stadium with 10,000 seats, four of those seats, four, would represent the extent to which carbon dioxide is in our atmosphere. Four out of 10,000. Which cannot change the climate or the weather. Let alone man-made climate change. And then think about the politicians who push this. The same politicians who tell you that by spending $6 trillion more this year, it's all paid for. The politicians that tell you if we print money faster than any government in human history, including governments in Venezuela, in pre-Hitler Germany, in Zimbabwe, and other places where you have hyperinflation, that it doesn't affect inflation, in fact it brings it down. The people who say when the border is wide open that it's closed. Why do you believe these people? I don't mean you per se, but why does anyone believe these people? I'll be right back. Lovin. Be curious to know, in addition to doing a separate one-hour podcast of fresh content, if you folks think I should do a, uh, call it a ditto cam, sort of a YouTube type thing. I'm just curious. I'm thinking about all these for the new year, all these ideas for the new year. So, uh, we shall see. You know, uh, One of the great uh, sites is the Washington uh, Beacon, the Free Beacon. Pelosi's holding up the Uyghur anti-slave bill. Now, she'll go out and talk about theories and abstractions and abortion and the health of the people and this, that, and that. But she is holding up the Uyghur anti-slavery bill. And it's amazing that you have people like Omar, anti-Semite, racist bigot who wants to pass legislation of some kind where companies are going to track people who talk about Muslims and so forth. Really, the purpose is to shut down any kind of legitimate debate, not necessarily hate speech, but it's amazing to me. Has she introduced any kind of bill, or has she stood up or put out anything on social media condemning communist China or condemning Nancy Pelosi? Because Uyghurs are Muslim. That's why they're being slaughtered. That's why they're being enslaved. That's why they're being raped and sterilized and everything else. About two million of them. That's why Enos Freedom, Enos Freedom, is speaking out against it. But isn't it amazing? We have Muslims in Congress. I mean, if this were happening to Jews, I think I would speak out very, very loudly. Why aren't they speaking out against communist China? Why aren't they speaking out against Pelosi holding up the anti-slavery bill? I'm quite serious. Why is that? Why do we have a media in this country that kowtows to all this? Well, we know the answer. These are rhetorical questions, of course. Because they are poison. They are corrupt. They're inhuman. Or better yet, inhumane. He's here. He's here. 
now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, Well, here is uh, Chuck Todd. I'll meet the depressed. He really is a shameless hack. Uh, he's got a face for sonogram, actually. And uh, he takes after this Kansas Republican Senator, Roger Marshall. Because he led the effort to get a number of his uh, colleagues, not enough, because some of them resist, to end this mandate stuff. And whatever you think of mandates, the fact is the federal government does not have the constitutional authority to mandate, and nobody can name a single example where they did. They keep talking about states that have mandated, which is bad enough. But listen to this. Just listen to Chuck Todd. They wonder why these Sunday shows are all doing so lousy. I think I should take over Meet the Press, don't you, Mr. Producer? That would be a kick-ass show. I could take over Meet the Press. I mean, it's not hard. I can get a homeless person to do better than Chuck Todd, but seriously. They want to kick up the IQ level and get something going here? Anyway, cut seven, go. Well, look at the big picture of this pandemic. Everything you rattled off that you said would be impacted by a mandate is what we're living through now. Uh, the only way to get past the supply chain problems, to get past COVID, get people vaccinated. The only way to get more workers uh, to show up is to make it safer, to get more people vaccinated. Everything you described here, all of our problems, are because we're still in the pandemic. Who does he and because- sound like? He sounds like he was briefed by the White House or his wife, and he's regurgitating all their talking points. Is that what they said in 1917, 1918? The Spanish, look, everybody, just get vaccinated. And uh, we got to get by these supply chain problems. We got to do this. We got to do that. Go ahead. How does, how does trying to delay the end of this pandemic better for the economy? Yeah, you know, Chuck, let's, let's look at the, the background information. But first of all, the answer should have immediately been, what do you mean delay? The end of this pandemic. I'm not trying to delay the end of this pandemic. The way to end this pandemic is to invent your way out of it, ladies and gentlemen. I'll be the first to say it with more medicines. Even more cutting edge vaccines. It's called technology. It's called innovation. It's called creativity. It's called the private sector. You improve the vaccines. You improve the, the, uh, the medicines and so forth. That's what we do. Not lock down people and fire people, and now we have a shortage of nurses in some hospitals, and they're bringing in the National Guard in New York, and how does that solve a damn thing? I was saying to Mr. Producer before the show began, do you realize we have more restrictions, more mandates, right now, after the vaccines, after the therapeutics, after the deep decline than we did when this pandemic first broke out and a year thereafter it's amazing go ahead 
percent of Americans have some level of immunity to this virus based upon the CDC website. So let's start there. And, and really, the messaging coming out of the White House has to acknowledge natural immunity and be honest with America. Look, if based upon years of experience, mandates don't work. Do you think it's better to get the virus than the vaccines? Well, I wasn't going to tell you this. First I was, and then I was told, oh, you might not, but I'm going to. I got this virus a couple weeks back. And I uh, holed up in our home when I was in Florida. Didn't really talk to anybody. Didn't see anybody. Didn't want to get anybody sick. You'll notice that Sunday's show was a rerun. Because I didn't do my Fox show for Sunday. I didn't want the crew to get sick. Those of you who subscribe to Live In TV, you'll notice I didn't do a show last week. Because I didn't want to get anybody sick. But I could do radio because I'm in one place. Mr. Producer, Mr. Call Screener are almost 200 miles away. Ah, a little less than that. But no, no, that's about right. But from Florida, you know, they're like 1,200 miles away. I didn't even tell friends that I was there because I didn't want them knocking on the door. And so as soon as I got it, I know because we have this Abbott home test, I felt like I had the flu. I want to tell you the genius of the governor of Florida, DeSantis. The genius of the governor of Florida. They have set up locations all over that state where you can get the monoclonal antibody, which is life-saving. Now, in my case, it wasn't a life-saving issue. I just felt lousy for a day or two. I mean, really lousy. So why am I bringing this up now? Because Chuck Todd just said, is it better to get the virus than get vaccines? I got vaccinated. I got the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. I got the booster five weeks ago. Went to Costco, got the booster. I wear a mask everywhere I go. And by the way, it's not always because of the virus. It's because I don't necessarily want to be noticed with people coming up to me. But, but it's also the virus. Vaccinated. Booster, mask, still got it. Still got it. And the monoclonal antibody, where the governor of Florida has made it easily accessible, no questions asked, which is basically four shots, one in the fatty part behind your bicep on the left arm, on the right arm, and then... uh, they squeeze each side of your stomach for fat and do it there. So it's four shots. And by the way, a lot of the people doing it, uh, there was a part-time job or volunteers for firefighters, some emergency personnel. And these are private companies that are given rec centers or whatever. You just look it up and you go. And you go. I mean, the governor is a genius, to be quite frank about it. And that's why he was fighting for this monoclonal antibody, because he realized, look, people are going to get this 
many of them who are vaccinated already. I have no idea how I got this. None. I didn't go to an Obama party. I didn't go to a Biden White House event. But it doesn't matter. I got it. So the choice isn't as stark, isn't as clear as Chuck Todd would have you believe. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I've never have been. On the other hand, I'm anti-tyranny. And I don't believe you should be firing people. Firefighters, nurses, doctors, police officers, border patrol, essential workers, I think the government, that's what they call themselves. Because they haven't been vaccinated. Especially those who have religious reasons or medical issues or have gotten the virus like I have. Now, vaccinated twice with the booster. Johnson & Johnson's one shot, then the booster. Then I got the virus. So I still have natural immunity, vaccine immunity. It's possible I'll get it again. So it's not team vaccinated and team unvaccinated. It's not the kind of myopic thinking of ignoramuses who just wear the same uniform as the Democrat Party. I have no doubt these vaccines have saved the lives of many people, particularly the elderly. And it is certainly possible once you're vaccinated, the effects of actually getting the virus are lessened. A lot of people believe that too. But that was my decision. I want to live my life. I spoke to my doctors. This is what they told me to do. That's what I did. I don't listen to the TV doctors. I don't care what they say. Other than Mark Siegel, that guy's a genius. And there's a few others, Sapphire and a few others, you understand. But I mean, for my own personal health, they don't know anything about me. Heart disease, asthma, all the rest. So there you have it. There you have it. It's better to get the virus than to get vaccines, Chuck says. It's also why I wonder how Joe Biden hasn't gotten the virus. You know, with his change, his voice changing to Lauren Bacall, other weird stuff. Where you remember that period of time where you didn't see him for like five days, Mister Producer? Keeps going to Wilmington, where they must be doing something. Maybe they're putting him on oxygen or something. I don't know. I don't know. But I do think Roger Marshall's correct. Mandates do not work. Period. Mandates do not work. And besides which, for some of us it matters who the mandate comes from. It is not constitutional for the federal government to mandate this. Court after court has been stopping by, but even if they didn't. Plenary police powers belong to the states. And those states that abuse them They also have to comply with the federal constitution. That's why you see particularly religious challenges going all the way to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court ducked today because there's there's probably three serious justices and six cowards. Because it takes four justices to take something up, even on an emergency basis. So you have a bunch of nurses now who are going to be fired because they don't meet the mandate. Now, how many people are going to die as a result of that? There's never any cost-benefit to this mandate stuff. That's the problem. That's the thing that's over Chuck Todd's head and the head of most of these people. 
the cost-benefit analysis. Is it better to have a nurse who does not have the virus, but is not vaccinated, but maybe has natural immunity, natural antibodies, helping somebody who staggers into the emergency room with a heart attack, or is it better that she be removed? Is it better that she be removed? Is it better to have a backup in surgery and operation rooms in a hospital because of a lack of nurses or in some cases doctors or who knows what, technicians? Because somebody's fired because they didn't get the, the vaccine or a vaccine? None of these cost-benefit analyses are ever done, ever. That's why natural immunity isn't tracked by the CDC. It's tracked by European countries, but it's not tracked by the CDC. Why doesn't Chuck Todd go through these things for his audience on Meet the Press? Because he's a hack. He's a propagandist. He's a moron. How do you think he got his job? They don't want smart people in these jobs because if you're smart, you're not one of them. You ask real questions. You wonder about stuff. You don't have cue cards where you regurgitate the same thing that your favorite politician had to say and your favorite party. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Anthony Fauci, America's quack. May I, with all due respect? These Sunday shows, much like the Sunday New York Times, really are a joke. Rather than learning more, you regress. You know less, you learn less, and you're filled with propaganda and talking points. If it's Sunday, it must be Fauci. Maybe he should get a Sunday show. Maybe he should get a Sunday show. He'd probably enjoy one in one of these autocratic regimes. Everybody shall get a booster! Booster! And you shall wear a letter on your shirt. Whether you have a booster or not. I love they they say we don't have these vaccine passports, but have you noticed, Mr. Do you want to get into a federal building or anything? You better have evidence that you had a vaccine. So you have have to have a vaccine passport. Okay. Uh, so here's Fauci on ABC's This Week with the... I can't even stand this little shrimp, this George Stephanopoulos, because I remember when he showed his true colors. He was a character assassin against women. But they always resuscitate these people. They always give them mouth to mouth. It's a little hitman going after George... Uh, going after women, uh, Bill Clinton's... Uh, Victims. I mean, there he is, a respected journalist on ABC. He's not respected. The Democrat hack, and a short one at that. Cut nine, go. Should we be expecting yearly boosters? You know, George, it's tough to tell because How the about third this? shot. I don't know. Is that a tough answer, Mr. Medusa? I don't know. I don't know, but you know, uh, you know, George, uh, I'm for more shots, more masks, goggles, galoshes, burkas, whatever works, George. Yeah, yeah. 
being a science expert and all that. Turns out I'm also an expert on clothing and and such. Go ahead. It could not only do what we absolutely know it does, is it would dramatically increase the level of protection. But from an immunological standpoint, it could very well increase the durability of protection. See, by see things- the language? This is a scientist, theoretically. It could very well increase the durability of protection. What about a third shot? What about it? It's tough to tell. Go ahead. Readily measure by the level of antibodies that you might have a maturation of the immune system that would prolong the durability. You don't know that, George, until you just follow it over a period of months. If it becomes necessary to get yet another boost, then we'll just have to deal with it when that occurs. So a rational human being would ask him, are you working on more advanced and cutting-edge vaccines? I mean, we got these vaccines under Operation Warp Speed. I mean, we've never seen anything like this domestic Manhattan Project against the pandemic, the war on the pandemic. But you're using vaccines now. Don't you think that you should be involved in funding, promoting, you know, not uh, gain of uh, whatever it is, research? No, 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 no. Not bats and monkeys and how to spread the virus, but how to kill the virus. Do you know they never asked this question? Ever? What are you guys working on that might actually be even more advanced? Huh? Still with masks. Got to wear the masks and, uh, you know, got to stay inside. When you're inside, wear a mask. When outside, put a bag over your head. Yeah, yeah. Yes, you know, George, uh, I'm not sure, but this is what I recommend. How many doctors talk like that? Real doctors. Not many. But Jake Tapper is very, uh, well, he's very precise about what he's interested in. This is so layered with politics, it's not funny. The media are so disgusting in this country. I'll explain when I return. Mark Levin, making conservatism great again. Dial in now, 877-381-3811. You heard me reading earlier from American Marxism. That book is filled with insight and substance and important information about these various Marxist movements, the history of the movements, where they're taking us. So when you hear them talk about quote-unquote climate change or critical race theory or open borders or all the rest of it, you'll be on top of it. Now, most of you already purchased the book, right? But it's a perfect gift. It's 50% off. It's 14 bucks on Amazon.com. You might say, I hate Amazon. doesn't matter. They're subsidizing it. So let them subsidize it for you. 50% off. 50% off. doesn't have to be the only gift. It's 14 bucks. It could be a gift. You're looking, I don't know why. He's so hard to buy for. I hear that about me. And you know what I tell everybody? Don't buy me anything. I have everything I want, which is true. Just give me a card. That's all I want. Just a card. Maybe a piece of chocolate. You know, but that's about it. So anyway, seriously, you ought to check that out too. I think you'll love it. Now, Chuck Todd if that is his name, and I'm not sure it is. Could be 
schmucktoad. It could be all kinds of things. Sometimes people don't like their names and they come up with different names. But anyway, I don't know who his barber is, but I'd stay far away from that barber. That's for sure. I don't believe it's professional to put one of those spaghetti drainers over your head and then uh, take a razor and kind of go around the head like that. Do you, Mr. Producer? No. Uh, but he's very concerned, you know, is this Senator Marshall going to... Why, why do you want to delay the pandemic? Uh, why do you want it to last so long? You know, you Republics, you're just unbelievable. Our friends at Breitbart, New York used federal coronavirus relief funds to advance critical race theory indoctrination. You will never, ever hear this story on MSLSD or the Constipated News Network. You will never, ever see it. On NBC, ABC, or CBS, you'll never hear George Stephanopoulos talk about it. Because it shows you the abuse by big government of money. And moving it into critical race theory. A racist ideology, a Marxist ideology. But we had to pass this right away, ladies and gentlemen, because if you oppose it, then you favor the pandemic. This is the idiocy we deal with. Beckon F. Thies, I believe, or Thies at Breitbart... The state of New York used Federal American Rescue Plan, or ARP, coronavirus relief funds to advance critical race theory indoctrination in elementary and secondary public schooling. How do you like that? U.S. Secretary of Education, Miguel Cardona, approved of the plan, saying it lays the groundwork for the ways in which an unprecedented infusion of federal resources will be used to address the urgent needs of America's children and build back better. Don't you love the way these commies talk? The Empire State's Elementary and Secondary School Emergency Fund, known as ESSER, their plan is federally funded to the tune of, holy mackerel, what is that, $9 million, and highlights its commitment to provide social, emotional support within a culturally responsively, responsive, sustaining framework. When you hear gibberish like this, you know there's a problem. Quote, equity warriors are working to create school communities that are more diverse, more equitable, more inclusive than ever before. In other words, racist. Many of the New York's education stakeholders and their organizations have elevated this issue to the very top of their agenda. So when you graduate from New York's schools, you'll be both illiterate and a racist. I think that's amazing, don't you, Mr. Producer? You'll be an illiterate, illiterate racist, and they spend more per pupil there than almost anywhere, I think. Further, according to the 263-page plan, culturally responsive and sustaining education initiatives help, quote, educators create equitable learning environments that affirm racial, linguistic, and cultural identities. So, you see, it kills assimilation. Balkanization kills a country. Uh, Elevate historically marginalized voices. I feel like my voice has been historically marginalized, Mr. Producer. I can't get on these different network shows. And uh, and empower students as agents of social change. There it is. Coronavirus money being used in New York City to create agents of social change. Illiterate racists. Illiterate racists. On its CRSE framework webpage, the New York Education Department claims that, quote, a complex system of biases and structural inequities is at play, deeply rooted in our country's history, culture, and institutions. This system of inequity 
which routinely confers advantage and disadvantage based on linguistic background, gender, skin color, and other characteristics, must be clearly understood, directly challenged, fundamentally transferred. How about another item? Another aspect. Like typically those who work hard and don't give up are the most successful. No, 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 you don't understand. You can't change it until we destroy the society. We are training young Marxists, creating illiterate racists. Education stakeholders in New York can, quote-unquote, contribute by, quote, believing the critical and continuous self-reflection is required to dismantle systems of biases and inequities rooted in our country's history, culture, and institutions. And in doing so, stakeholders can center dominant ideologies and pedagogies that ignore or marginalize diverse students. It's here. It's in your face. You see it? You hear it? Smell it? Part of New York's plan is to advance high-quality SEL, social-emotional learning, social-emotional learning in schools everywhere, quote-unquote. The plan references several goals for its SEL push. To, quote, leverage SEL to work together toward a more just world and cultivate justice-oriented citizenship with issues of culture, identity, agency, and belonging. Transformative SEL elaborates on the core competencies from an educational equity lens. What appears to be a mission statement. New York's SEL plan is... A response to the, quote, compounded difficulties of a global pandemic and economic recessions. Civic unrest in response to structural racism. Oh, yeah, that's why there's looting at the Louis Vuitton stores. It's structural racism. The challenge, according to the government, is really an opportunity to redefine public education, quote, and that's the key. To meet these challenges, the statement says, individuals must start with the inner work of healing their own hearts and minds, finding the capacity within themselves to support healing for students, families, peers, and communities. In reacting to the approval of the plan, neither Schumer nor Gillibrand mentioned the emphasis on race, despite the fact that both were instrumental in securing the funding for their state. They only referenced issues regarding being able to open schools safely after the pandemic. I think I'm going to lead a movement to shut the schools, Mr. Producer. Close the schools, board up the classrooms, fire the teachers, teach your own kid, find a private school, a religious school, do something else. Because I'm telling you what's going on here. This racism is going to get worse as your kids get older and your grandkids get older. The balkanization of this society is going to be a disaster in the next 20 years. You think it's bad now? And they're using funds to fight the pandemic for this. They're frauds. They're hucksters. They're corrupt. Now they want trillions more. Anybody who voted for the Build Back Burka plan should be thrown out on their ass if they're in a marginal district or Republican district, if you can. They're going to be can, uh, you know, campaigning like the guy in Bergen County. What's his name? Godshall again? I can't remember. Godheimer Schmidt. Little shrimp. Weasel. And I'm here. Uh, you know, I'm a moderate here. And if it wasn't for me, you know, they'd actually be worse off. This is how he talks. Please vote. Oh, yes, Congressman. Yes, yes, I'll vote for you. You're so swell. Thank, thank you very much, man. Leave a sticker, please. Yes, you may. I'm always looking out for the little guy. Never forget that. Oh, no, no, you're great. We moderates, we need to have a voice. Votes for Pelosi, votes for impeachment, votes for investigations, votes to bankrupt the country, votes to... 
I'm part of the uh, can-do uh, group in the house, you know. Can-do? Can-do what? Have you ever seen me do a headstand? Oh, good, you're a can-doer. Yes, I am. Are you part of QAnon? No, 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 I'm not part of QAnon. I'm part of can-do. Oh! I'll be right back. Mark Lovin'. There's a book It's getting a lot of attention in Israel, not so much attention here. Some of it did, by a guy by the name of Barak Ravid. You may remember him. They call him an Israeli journalist. He's no journalist. He's a hack. He hates Netanyahu. He hates Likud. He's sympathetic to, in my view, my personal view, the Palestinian cause and so forth. So he's written a book in Hebrew, and they're pushing it at Axios, which is a radical left site. And the people who leaked to Ravid have done enormous damage, in my view, enormous damage to President Trump, to the State of Israel, to the Prime Minister of Israel, and others. What kind of a person, so-called journalist, writes a book and doesn't talk to the, the people he's attacking? Like Benjamin Netanyahu, or former ambassador to the United States from Israel, Ron Dermer, personal friend of mine. Or the ambassador to Israel from the United States, President Trump's former close attorney, David Friedman, another personal friend of mine. But he goes to certain sources, apparently, and just puts out statements that are outrageous and unbelievable. And by the way, during a lot of this period, the peace plan and so forth, I was extremely knowledgeable of what was taking place. We were talking about it and so forth. Not all the details, of course. I'm not in the government, but a lot of it. First of all, nobody should have talked to this rabid ravid. He's a punk. He's got an agenda. Secondly, I know for a fact that he's got a lot of his facts wrong in this book. He's pushing an ideology. He's worse than Bob Woodward. Worse, if you can believe that. But it's very foolish for people to play along with this guy. Because he doesn't have their interests at heart. He doesn't have our country's interests at heart. And in my view, he doesn't have the state of Israel's interests at heart. He's an ideologue. He's an active. Active, uh, activist. He's a, he's a left-wing hack. And yet they talk to him. Apparently, on and off the record. <clears throat> and I'm quite shocked by this. Quite shocked by this. You know, all this stuff about Trump and Netanyahu and Trump not lighting Netanyahu, that, that's news to me. Certainly hope it's not true. But this is, why, this is why journalism is dead in, in these... Okay. Oops. Just in case. It rhymes with Nick, right? Call him a little Nick. You can call into this program. You're not going to get an invite, but I would rake you over the coals, you little bastard. And do not buy his book, How It Happened. 
Like he's a historian laying in there. He's no historian. He's a polemicist and the worst kind, propagandist. So I must say that for all the goodwill and magnificent progress that was made, all the wonderful things that were done, all this leaking is not helping President Trump. It's not helping Prime Minister Netanyahu. And to allow the media, in this case, this little Nick, to do what he's done is really outrageous. It's really disgusting to me, and I'm going to keep an eye on this. Broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. So here's what I'm saying tie the knot a little tighter from the last hour. Shame on the people who misled President Trump. Shame on the people who are leaking false stories to this reprobate, Barack Ravid. They're destroying their own legacies. They're destroying the legacy of what was the greatest cooperation partnership and uh, work really of two countries together in modern history and it upsets me a lot because I believe they're harming president who I believe in very very strongly how beloved he is in the state of Israel well this kind of stuff this this reporter this fraud Barack Ravid he doesn't want Trump to be beloved in Israel. You have to understand, the people who hate Trump hate Netanyahu. The people who hate Netanyahu hate Trump. And so this is a a grave disservice, in my view, what's taking place here. Now the good news is, these other gentlemen who are being uh, smeared, they of course have the ability to speak out too. I don't know if they will. I suspect at some point, if it keeps up, they will. But this guy's trying to sell books. He's telling half stories. And I, I don't understand how you don't interview the targets of your stories. Well, I do. It's because he didn't want to know what they would say. I honestly don't understand how this guy, Barack Ravid, I mean, he's a radical. He's a fraud, in my humble opinion. How he got within a thousand yards of mar largo That I don't understand. I don't understand how he came to interview President Trump. That I don't understand. Because his techniques are predictable. It's well known in Israel, well known in a lot of of the Jewish community in the United States. You can't trust this guy. That he's, uh, He's really a, in my personal view, a mouthpiece of propagandist for the hard left. So why would you do that? And so I think it'd be 
Interesting to know. I'd like to know who is it that suggested that he meet with the president and who greased the skids to make that possible. You know, Donald Trump doesn't meet with everybody. He listens to advice. At some point, I suspect this will come out. People will figure out who's doing what, how, and when. People will ask. But it's really too bad because of all the wonderful successes a perfect example of, of, uh, of diplomacy from both countries, a perfect example of working together, and yet here we have this, this effort to destroy what was done with half-truths, with cherry-picking, apparently, uh, sources, and a lot of off-the-record stuff. But, you know, a lot of this is held in close circles, a lot of the discussions and everything, so the people who are involved will be able to figure all this stuff out. And there's other books that are coming out. I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, Ambassador Friedman has a book coming out. By all accounts, it's an outstanding book. So we'll want to read about that. We'll want to hear what, what he has to say. We'll bring him on the program here on the radio. I can't do all books on TV. Fox says no, and they're right. But we'll definitely do that. Um, and so I think that would be uh, that would be very interesting. Also, I see here, it was just sent to me, and this is why we have a problem with this committee, that this January 6th committee, let's see here. Bear with me, folks. This is live radio, live national. Liz Cheney reads texts sent by Sean Hannity, Laura Ingram, Brian Kilmey, Donald Trump Jr. to Mark Meadows, and blah, blah, blah. Now, this is a committee that is supposed to be conducting an investigation. Now, we know that's not what it's doing. So there is information that is given to Oliver Darcy, who's another reprobate, another puke over at the Constipated News Network. Hopefully he keeps his pass on during Zoom Zoom calls, but I don't have any proof that he does. But the thought makes me rather nauseous. And he tweets out, at Liz Cheney reads text sent by Hannity, Ingram, Kilmeade, Trump Jr. to Mark Meadows during the insurrection. Shows you where his head is. Imploring him to get Trump to do something. And then she quotes them. About Trump needs to make a statement and so forth. He needs to do it quickly, blah, 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 blah. And, of course, that's proof that Donald Trump is guilty of an insurrection, don't you know? Now, Milley, of course, is not guilty of an insurrection, even though he was talking to the head of the communist Chinese military and going around Trump's back. That's perfectly fine. Or Esper, uh, apparently, who was uh, Secretary of Defense for about four and a half minutes, uh, coming out of the swamp as well. Uh, He told active duty military in and around Washington not to respond something to the effect, something like to any Trump order. Well, Trump never gave an order. It's like Russia collusion all over again. Russia collusion all over again. Really appalling. Quite appalling. Now, I want to continue for a moment because of how generous our media are and how generous, I meant, our Democrats in Congress are and how they're very, very concerned about the health of you and me 
From Just the News, John Solomon's wonderful site. Large share of federal COVID relief for safe school reopening diverted to non-pandemic uses. So this is an addition. Estimated 40 to 65% of the pandemic funds to protect teachers, students from virus goes to new tracks, tennis courts, stadium expansion, and security cameras. This week's Golden Horseshoe Award goes to the U.S. Department of Education for approving pandemic relief spending for school districts that include millions for upgrading athletic facilities, installing security cameras, purchasing floor shiners. What the hell is a floor shiner? And other non-pandemic-related projects, apparently $190 billion in pandemic funding under the past president and the current one was allocated to schools to safely reopen and protect teachers and students. But the public spending watchdog group opened the books, found widespread misspending of pandemic relief funds by schools. Creston, Iowa, for example, expanded their sports stadium, spent 231000 to add bleachers. In Kentucky, a track was replaced using relief funds, the watchdog said. The Kentucky Project used $1 million in federal elementary and secondary school emergency relief funds for the track replacement. It's a big problem when Congress is throwing so much money at school districts they can hardly spend it. Open Book CEO founder Adam Adjrajowski sold the uh, national desk. Boston schools upgraded athletic fields and expanded other facilities. The city's ESSER spending <coughs> included $4 million for athletic expansion, $5.5 million in library service expansion, $3 million for service lab materials and equipment, and an additional $20 million for facilities improvements. How come these people aren't going to prison? Now, you're listening to this program. You know this is why we understand that the more power you give government, this is what you get. Trash, BS, corruption, waste. This was supposed to be money to fight the pandemic in a thousand different ways, and this is how they blow it. Irwin, Tennessee, considering spending millions to upgrade its athletic fields. The new Coy County School Board recently met with local officials to discuss the funding of the projects. It's looking to fund a new 3.6 million gymnasium, a new 1.5 million track, 575,000 new tennis courts, courtesy of the U.S. taxpayers. Chalkbeat found that Newark, New Jersey public school systems planned pandemic relief funds include 6 million new athletic fields and gym floors, 2.4 million for the installation of security cameras, 536,000 for floor polishing machines. Newark school chief called the federal windfall chance to make much-needed district improvements and urged members of the community not to stay stuck on COVID-19, quote-unquote, as they dream up ways to use the extra money. State education departments received billions in funds for the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security CARES Act passed in March 2020, including $13.2 billion, the Coronavirus Response Relief Supplemental Appropriations Act, December 2020, another $53.3 billion, Biden's American Rescue Plan, another $122 billion for schools. The schools are flooded with cash, flooded with cash. How many of you are getting a rebate on your property taxes? They are flooded with cash. Really, the purpose is to build up these facilities, to get the money to the unions, and you and I could stick it. They were supposed to use it to support school reopenings and pandemic recovery. But according to the American Enterprise Institute, Congress placed few limits on the funding and what the funding could be used for. 
The report found initial estimates suggest that $78 billion to $123 billion could go towards spending not directly related to the virus. But your taxes need to go up, America, because they're not getting enough money. They're not getting enough money. Really? No, 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 they're not getting enough money. Well, they are getting enough money. In fact, they set a record through November for tax collections. From Terry Jeffrey at CNSNews.com, the federal government collected a record $565,135,000,000 in total taxes through the first two months of fiscal 2022, October, November. It also collected a record $282 billion in individual income taxes in the first two months of this fiscal year. So while collecting its record $565 billion in total taxes in the first two months, the federal government spent $921,526,000,000. Mark Lovin. Durable goods inflation breaks all-time 1970s high as prices jump 14.9% over Breitbart. John Carney. But it's okay, because Mr. Squinty Eyes, listen, I, I'm doing the very best I can. Dr. Jill over here, she checks me out every now and then. I'm, I think I'm doing okay. I mean, wait a minute, that's my, that's my sister. While the overall pace of inflation reached a nearly four-decade high in November, inflation for longer-lasting goods actually hit an all-time high. Do you hear this today? Price of durable goods jumped 1.6% in one month only in November compared with the prior month. That's from the Labor Department. That would be an all-time record apart from the extraordinary high monthly price hikes seen in April, May, and June of this year. Over the last 12 months, prices of durable goods are up 14.9%, higher than the record annual gain of 14.4% in May of 1975. Durable goods are those expected to last three years or more. Non-durable good prices are up 10.7%, the highest since July 2008. Now, some of the categories making big moves up last year, furniture, up 11.8% over last year. Bedroom furniture, 9.9% over last year. Living room, kitchen, dining room furniture, 14.1%. Major appliances, if you can get them, up 5.5%. Indoor plants and flowers, up 6.4%. Marijuana, no, I was just kidding. Tools and hardware, up 6%. New vehicles, up 11.1%. Used cars and trucks, up 31.4%. Car parts are up 10.2%. Tires, 11.1%. Television, 7.9%. Bicycles, 9.4%. Sports equipment, 6.7%. Computers, 4.8%. And again, it's if you can get computers. Sports equipment. Wasn't that long ago, Mr. Producer, I couldn't get dumbbells. Of course, I'm not a liberal. But I'm seriously, I couldn't get dumbbells. They're expensive. You're paying like four times what you used to just to get them. Many of these categories became highly reliant on imports, either for their components or as finished goods. Uh, so the supply chain issues are issues. Does anybody remember? I'm 64 years old. I know. I don't sound it. I sound like I'm 35. I hear it said, and I look like I'm 35. 
Doesn't everybody tell me that when they come up to me, Mr. Brewster? You're more handsome than you sound. What? You're bigger than I thought. What? Now, nobody says 35. I'm just kidding. But anyway, so here's the thing. You ever hear of supply chain issues before? I never heard of them in my life. I mean, I understand we import a hell of a lot, but it's not just that. It's the rules that they put in place in California where the two biggest ports are. From China. China. The Long Beach port and the L.A. port. Heavily controlled by Democrats. Democrats. So everything goes to S when they're in charge of anything. And then I wanted to mention one other thing, if I might. Because the time has come. And I've been warning you that this time is coming. Blaze Media, great site. Federal Reserve expected to announce interest rate hikes this week to fight off inflation. Federal Reserve is set to abruptly change its monetary policy now that inflation has reached the highest levels in 40 years, shooting up to 6.8%. But remember what I said about durable goods, almost 15% up. Look around your house. What's a durable good? As we said, a television, furniture, washing machine, dishwasher, dryer, automobile, HVAC system. And you happen to need one, if you can get them, as I said, the price skyrockets. Fed officials are going to meet, and they started to, they're going to start to meet tomorrow to discuss ending the COVID-19 pandemic policy, keeping short-term interest rates near zero. It didn't start with the pandemic. It started with Obama. During this two-day meeting, economists expect the Fed will announce steps to begin tapering. That is, slow, slowing down the monthly purchases of government-backed debt called bonds. When the Fed buys bonds, it injects more money into the economy, which increases the money supply and pushes prices higher, interest rates lower. Conversely, if the Fed sells bonds, it pushes cash out of the economy, which lowers prices and raises interest rates. Now, this is where the squeeze began. They literally have no choice. Because they've had the foot on the gas pedal for too long. But when you have a loose money monetary policy and an out-of-control fiscal spending policy, you have a disaster. And the only way to wring out inflation is to hit the brakes, slow the economy down purposely, pull money out of the economy, and it is extremely painful. We know Reagan had to do that with Volcker. And then they created the greatest, most explosive economy. Mark Levin, the research arm of conservative media. Call in now, 877-381-3811. Okie dokie, this show is flying by, if I say so myself. So I will. Now... Just when you thought Blockhead in the Oval Office couldn't do anything more stupid, we have this from our friends at the, what is it, the Daily Wire. Biden withholding $200 million in military assistance as Russia prepares for possible full-scale invasion. How come he's not impeached for that? Democratic presidential... President Biden holding off on delivering military assistance to Ukraine as Russia prepares for what many experts believe is an invasion. 
Biden administration prepared a $200 million package of additional military assistance for Ukraine in recent weeks, but held off on delivering it despite appeals from Kiev and some lawmakers, NBC News reported. The administration's delay of the smaller shipment of weapons and military equipment was designed to give more time for diplomatic efforts to defuse tensions and to retain leverage in the case of a Russian attack on Ukraine. It's too bad we left all that equipment with the uh, Taliban, Mr. Producer. We could have used that in the Ukraine. Unbelievable. This, this guy, Biden, he's got a hate on for the state of Israel. He's going to leave Taiwan in the breach. He's withholding military assistance to Ukraine. And there's some clowns. That, well, that's good. What is it any of our business? I don't know. Why was the invasion of Czechoslovakia any of our business? Little over, a little less than 100 years ago. How about the invasion of Poland? Was that none of our business? England? I mean, it's all the way over there. What's the problem? The problem uh, is you reach a point of no return. You reach a point where you have a full-scale war, where you wake up one day and economic lanes are closed, navigable waters are closed, uh, where a country that is imperialistic as is communist China. Uh, these aren't just military operations, they're economic operations, and they want to be the most powerful, so they want to subjugate us. Do we have to wait to that point? And when that happens, you have a full-scale war and you have a disaster on your hands. That's why you, you have allies. That's why you have bases overseas. Why do you think the Chinese are now building a naval base on the west coast of Africa? Did you know this, Mr. Producer? They're building a naval base on the tiny African country, west coast of Africa. A naval base, a full-scale naval base. Because what they do, like the mob, is they loan them money. These little countries can't pay them off. They have as collateral these, these docks, these bases, these areas. And they say, okay, fine, what are you going to do? We're going to build a base. Oh, okay. And that's what they're doing. They control both sides of the Panama Canal contract. Why are they doing that? Why are they doing that, ladies? Anybody have any idea? Hypersonic missiles. Who's that aimed at? Why are they doing that? Killer satellites. What are they doing that for? How many people have satellites up there? How many countries? Why is their Navy bigger than ours? Why are they building these, uh, these fake islands in the South China Sea where half the world's economy transits? Why are they doing that? Why are they threatening Japan and Vietnam and the Philippines and Taiwan and Hong Kong? And they just want to be left alone. Why do we keep inciting them? And same with the Russians. Just because they took Crimea, just because they took part of Georgia, just because they have their eyes on Ukraine, what's the problem? What do they have hypersonic missiles for? I don't know. Why do they have a base in the North Pole? I don't know. It's us. That's what it is to hear these morons. What does that have to do with us? Everything. What, do you want to go to war? Should we send ground troops and nuclear missiles? Is that the choice, black and white? Oh, nuclear missiles or nothing. That's not the choice. It's never been the choice. Why don't we learn from smart people like Reagan and Casper Weinberger and so forth? Rather than make stupid statements. I mean, there's a, there's a weird synergy between the hard Marxist left 
and the pacifist uh, America First blamers. On the one hand, they claim to be America First, and then on the other hand, they're not, really, when you think about it. I'm talking about a group of people, not any one individual. But I hear it all the time. Don't you, Mr. Producer? It's really remarkable. There's one other thing I wanted to mention before the end of this show. In Maryland, which is a heavy Democrat state, as you know, the legislature is overwhelmingly Democrat. Um, I mean, big time. They have a Republican governor, at least a purportedly Republican governor. But in this instance, he's right. There's one Republican congressional seat held by a conservative. And they have gerrymandered the state so much that that seat is pretty much wiped out. So every single member of the House in Congress would come from the Democrat Party. So the Republicans would have absolutely no representation in the federal Congress. None. Not the senators, not the House members. Hogan had vetoed this map put together by the General Assembly. And they overrode his veto. Now, you don't hear about this much around the country. I know the, the Washington Post did a little story and so forth, but you don't hear a lot about this. All you hear about is Republicans trying to deny minorities the right to vote. And Democrats use minorities, as you know. They use minorities for power. That's what they do. So what they really mean is you're denying us more seats in these Republican states, but if we are not careful, you look in these Democrat majority and supermajority states in these legislatures, the Democrats are going to make the ability of the Republican Party to take more seats much more difficult. I'm not saying they won't. It's going to be more difficult. I'll give you a perfect example. New York, they're trying to blow out two Republican seats. They lose a seat based on population, so they're trying to blow out Republican seats. Two of them. Maryland, they're trying to blow out one Republican seat. Illinois, they're trying to blow out another Republican seat. And down the line. You could literally have, through gerrymandering, 10 to 12 Republican seats blown out in these Democrat states. And they, they say, we oppose gerrymandering. Jerry, we're opposed. It violates the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Unless, of course, we do the gerrymandering and we throw Republicans out. After all, they're white supremacists. That's pretty much what's going on. So Texas is challenged by the Department of Justice as being discriminatory by the, the racist who runs the Civil Rights Division, Clark. And Larry Hogan saying, okay, Department of Justice, why don't you help us? Uh, silence. So it's a power grab in Maryland as it is in many blue states. Where at the national level, they complain about gerrymandering. And at the state level, nobody's better at it than them. Typically, their judges uphold this stuff, too. Because they want the best of all, all worlds. They want to be able to say that it's the Republicans denying minorities the right to vote. But we have every right to deny Republicans the right to representation. 
This is very important to understand because we're going to have a blowout. We might. There's a huge population shift away from blue states to red states because people like to be free. Most people like to be free. And you're not free in these dark blue states. A lot of people who live in these dark blue states want to live there because they want the redistribution of wealth. Because certain benefits that the government give are better, whether it's Medicaid under Obamacare, whether it's minimum wage, but if they're not working, better welfare. I, I don't know. It, it's just that they view freedom as free to work, free not to work, or free to be subsidized. Whereas that's really a perversion of the whole idea of freedom. Completely different mindsets in these states, red versus blue, for the most part. But they pretend that the gerrymandering is right. You know, Obama's oh, gerrymandering. His his uh, right hand guy hold it. Oh, gerrymandering. We got to end it. Well, how come they don't speak out against it in Maryland or New York? How come they don't speak out against it in Illinois or Michigan? How come? Because they're frauds, phonies, and fools. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. All right. Let's go to Len, Gilbertsville, Kentucky, on the Mark Levin app, who, uh, who witnessed this tornado firsthand. Len, go right ahead, please. Mark, thank you for taking the call. Yes, sir. Uh, first thing, thank you for a book, a book that the entire nation needs. Thank oh, you thank so you. much for that. Thanks, um, I live about 1,500 feet off of the track, and uh, <clears throat> excuse me, power was lost 20 miles east side of that track. A lot of people are learning that we need dense fossil fuels in a grid that works to sustain that. Mm -hmm. You can't get out of your driveway or down your road without a chainsaw. You can't move without someone offering you the use of a backhoe, a trackhoe, a bulldozer. You can't keep your refrigerator cool. You can't heat your home without wood right now. Um, we've got problems. It's going to take a while to solve it. But we don't need the government forcing policies on us that steer us away from the fossil fuels, the dense fossil fuel energy sources that we need to make this place work. Just my two cents. No, you're 100% right. I mean, even generators, what do they work? You're going to work off solar power? I mean, is this ridiculous? Um, and you're right, all the tools that you need to rebuild, all the tools you need to just move. You know, I, I, I see a lot of these guys, I watch a lot of these shows, people living off the grid. How many of them have solar panels? Almost none. Now, they'll use wind, but they're always walking around with, with gas. In other words, they get enough gas for their, for, their, for their machines, for cooking, doing these other things. You've got to have gas. And you're quite right. And look at the situation here. You're not going to get electricity there for God knows how long, which is your point. And so, 
Maybe you need kerosene. Maybe you need propane. Maybe you need natural gas. Maybe you need oil. Maybe you need whatever it is. And there's going to be a lot less of it by the time these fools are done. Did your house hold up? Anybody get hurt that you're aware of that you're no. I'm connected fine. to? I'm fine, yeah. but there's a lot of my neighbors are hurt. So for the next few weeks, whatever spare time I have, and I'm, I'm very fortunate to be self-employed, mm-hmm. I'll be helping neighbors. And a lot of other people will be doing that, too. This is a resilient, resourceful group of people, mm-hmm. and they will bear up. They will get through this. It's going to take time. Everyone's in pain right now, mm-hmm. but it will get better. So much damage, uh, so many dead people, missing people. It's unbelievable. As a thumb in the eye to John Kerry, I was able to go in there and uh, it's procure three pounds of dry ice, frozen CO2 to keep in my yeah, refrigerator exactly. and yeah. to save some food. So, um, like I say, those people are very resourceful around here. And I'll tell you what we're going to do tomorrow. Mr. Producer, help me find, in addition to the Red Cross, one or two other entities that that have feet on the ground. You know what I mean? They're not, you know, based in Manhattan or San Francisco or something. So we're going to look into that, too, and we're going to, we're going to try and raise some funds for the people in Kentucky and in some of these areas where people are missing and dead and so forth. This was, these were apparently three massive tornadoes, and they lasted a long time. Len, thank you, buddy, and God bless you. Take care of yourself. Boy, oh boy. Boy, oh boy. I only have one minute, and I have great callers. We've got Donna and Jimmy and Casey and Patrick, but I can't go to you right now, unfortunately. In the end, what's going to help these people is we the people. You heard what Len said. I'm going to go over there and do everything I can to help people. And that's exactly what we're all about. We, the people of the United States. We'll go anywhere to help people, and we do. We put our lives on the line to help other people. But when tragedy strikes like this, it is so wrenching, so horrific, so many deaths, over a hundred missing people. Just imagine. And we'll do something tomorrow. We'll take a good look at this. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. God bless each and every one of you. Be safe out there. Take care of yourselves. We need you. I'll see you tomorrow.